Before we begin, this is a podcast about terrorism, which means we do talk about acts of terror and extreme violence, sometimes in quite a lot of detail. So you might find some of the following material upsetting. Hello, I'm Adnan Sawa, and if I sound a bit different, it's because I'm here. I'm in Kabul, Afghanistan, reporting on what life under Taliban rule is like and how they, and we, should be dealing with the very real threat posed by ISIS-K. Six months ago, neither the world nor I had any idea that journalists like me would have cause to be here. It's proof, if we ever needed it, that extremism in all its forms is ever-present. Whatever happens in Afghanistan, there's no doubt that whenever you're listening to this, terrorism will be shattering lives somewhere. Before I left on this assignment, we recorded our final discussion and we chose to end the series looking at something that so often lives alongside acts of terror. Forgiveness. Is it possible? Or as we're calling this episode, is terrorism unforgivable? Up till now in this series, we've been focusing on terrorism activities through the lens of those carrying them out. But in this episode, we want to look more closely at the consequences of those activities and to find out from people with personal experience what dealing with those consequences can be like. We're also going to be asking what is the aim of an atrocity and and how should we respond? And what does the Muslim community think about their religion being used for this? I'm joined by four people who all have a unique angle on this. Two of them you've met before, Dr. Nadia Oedad, who, among other things, studies the ideologies and ideas that drive Islamic extremism. Hello, Nadia. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And we have Omar Mohammed, who, as the Mosul Eye, risked his life to let the world know what was happening under Daesh in the city. Hello, Omar. Hi, Adnan. Thank you for having me again. We also welcome today Fegan Murray, whose son, Martin Hett, was uh, amongst those who we lost in the uh, Manchester Arena bombing in 2017. Fegan is now involved with helping all kinds of communities focus on tolerance. Hello, Fegan. Hi. And uh, we have Mike Haynes, whose brother David was very publicly and uh, brutally murdered by Daesh in 2014. And he now runs Global Acts of Unity, also to help promote tolerance in schools. Mike, if I can start with you, these are not easy things to talk about. And I'm sure people are wondering how they would have reacted if this would have happened to them. What was your initial reaction? I had moved most of my family to my home and on the 13th of September 2014... At three minutes past 11 at night, I received a phone call saying that my brother had gone. I had to gather my family together and tell them that their son, their uncle, their father was no longer with us. That was the hardest point of my life. I was so angry, so frustrated. I was filled full of hate. But I have what I call my head and heart problem and I emotionally react to an issue I always muck it up so I tried to think what was the act of murdering David about and I very quickly saw that it was 
hatred that they were trying to spread and that I had to stand against that hatred. Vegan, can I ask you the same question? What was your initial reaction? Well, after the initial shock, obviously, and the immense grief, I very quickly came to a point of forgiveness and uh, felt that that is the only way I can really respond to stay within my own humanity and not lose who I am as a human being. I just couldn't allow my heart to go and be wrapped round with dark stuff. That would have been so easy, but I just decided um, not to succumb to the darkness. Omar, I think you have a personal experience about this as well. Beside the, the horrors I lived, uh, Adnan, I also lost my brother during the Battle of Mosul. Whom I spoke to the night before, urging him to leave the house because I have received information that there is going to be a, a heavy attack on the neighborhood. I was waiting to receive a call from him the second day. I called my sister, I called my mother, I called my other brothers. I felt there was something wrong. Where is Ahmed, my brother? Why I can't speak to him? Until after four days, they decided to tell me that my brother had died while he was moving from his room to get some water to his children and a bullet would come from nowhere and just leave him dead. I, I've never experienced anything like that, and I can't imagine what it feels like at that moment. But I think I would be angry and I would want revenge. How do you not get there? How do you stop yourself from wanting that? I have never felt the meaning of hate like I did at that moment. The only thing I could see is how I take revenge for the death of my brother. But then I realized this is what they wanted, is to fill our hearts with hate, because that's how they will win. Once I realized this, I went back to what I used to do, is to spread hope among people. And now when I realized that I have a much bigger mission, and that I should never allow myself to invest my energy in hatred and to take the grievance of my brother, whom I never cried until now. And there will be a moment when I will cry my brother when I feel that justice is served. Fegan. Um, you know, it's so easy to, to want to hate these people, but I feel, in my case, I need it still to function in the role as a mother, wife and grandmother and friend and sister, and all the other roles are play in my life. And had I succumbed to anger and rage and that darkness, I would not have been able to function and they would have not just lost a son, a brother, a cousin. They would have lost me as well and I couldn't do that to my family. But most importantly, uh, in Martin's memory, Martin was a good person. He was a kind-hearted person and I don't think he would have wanted me to hate and therefore I chose to go completely the opposite way. And I'm forever talking about global compassion. They will never win over love and kindness because in essence, human beings are good and that's what I want to believe. Mike, how, how do you stop yourself from wanting to you know, be angry and take revenge? 
I have a daily battle with hatred. Every time I wake up in the morning and the loss of my brother hits me, it's, I feel that hatred. But hatred is a choice. Hatred only destroys. And it, it, that acting in hatred is playing into the hands of all extremists, all terrorists. And if we hate, they win. It's, it's that simple. Uh, so I channeled about how I felt into creating Global Acts of Unity. And I work with students and all sorts of different people about trying to show that hatred is a natural feeling, but acting in hatred is a choice. Nadia, I'm just trying to get a handle on, you know, when people say, well, Daesh or, you know, the, the Islamic State, this is what Islam is. You know, what, what's, your, what's your view on that? So first, let me just start by applauding the phenomenal might of my colleagues for leaning on their humanity and choosing love in the face of phenomenal violence. You know, there are as many Islams as there are Muslims. And if I look at even my own family, literally every single one of us have a completely different view of what Islam is. And I tell my students, when somebody says they're Muslim, there is nothing you can assume about them. They could believe Islam equals Swedish, Scandinavian human rights. They could believe Islam equals Daesh and anything in between. So there, there is not one Islam. And there has never been one since the Prophet's death. When he was alive, people would come to him and say, is this Islamic? And he would educate. The second he died, the second differences started to manifest. And since then, there's a lot of sects and there's so much diversity. I mean, the Islam of Tunisia is different than the Islam of Indonesia, different than the Islam of name it. So there is not one Islam. One has to define what Islam means for him or her. And it's very different for different people. Mike, what does Islam mean to you after this happened to your family, after this very personal act? The day after David was murdered, I did a video for the BBC asking for there to be no reprisals against innocent Muslim people. I wanted to quote from the Quran, but wanted to make sure I was not going to misquote. I was introduced to a London imam and a friendship has well, we've been rolling now for the past six years, and it's wonderful. I have travelled all over the world. I have spoken in mosques in Afghanistan, in Jordan, in Turkey, at different places all over the UK and in Europe. And I have never been met with anything but warmth, compassion and friendship. But Nadia was saying about there being different Islams. Yes, there's different Christianities, there's different uh, Buddhists, there's different of all types. You know, every religion has its extremists. Fegan, you wanted to say something? Since Martin died, what, what I've sort of uh, come across was a saying somewhere I read, and I really believe that to be true. And it said, um, Religion doesn't radicalise people. People radicalise religion. No religion on this planet promotes killing other people. It's just as simple as that. Religion is meant to be kind and, and good and, and pure. 
Mike, it seems you're quite active in trying to change the way people think about Muslims. Yeah, it's important. When we were kids, Mum and Dad brought David and I up to respect other people's cultures, colours and faiths. And the only thing different from us all, whatever your position in life, whether you be a queen or whether you be a beggar on the street, is our stories. And if we can talk to each other, and that's one of the things that I promote in my school visits, is that you know, when you don't know something of someone's life or someone's culture, someone's faith, ask a question. Fegan. I do like my go to schools and talk to young people, um, not just about the dangers of online radicalization, but also about that they are the future adults and decision makers and they can choose what kind of planet and world they want to live in and that they are future politicians and educators, but most importantly, future parents and as future parents they can ensure that they instill those values that Mike talks about, like kindness, tolerance. Omar, how does your work continue? Speaking of whether Daesh represents Islam or not, we are not asking the right question. It's not whether Daesh represents Islam or not. Let's ask this question of what damage did Daesh do to the Muslims? You can only get this answer when you speak to Muslims. I have been speaking to religious leadership in Mosul, mostly Muslim Sunnis whose text and the book they read was used by Daesh. When I ask them what damage Daesh did to you, they tell me there is no one since the beginning of Islam until this moment was able to do such a damage to Islam than the damage Daesh did to them. So they feel what Daesh did and they know the chaos Daesh left about Islam and how this way of Daesh trying to impose itself as an authority over Islam was part of its strategy to keep the Muslims confused and to give the non-Muslims also the excuse to hate because this is the mechanism of how Daesh played its own dangerous game of religions. Nadia? Part of addressing this problem of terrorism, and this is something I am personally working on, is we empower voices like my colleagues who are actually spreading love and, and very humane values because they enable all of us to exist despite our spiritual backgrounds. And the other component that I think is so important, and again, we haven't done anything, in my opinion, nearly as much as we need to, which is healing and trauma and the PTSD that a lot of people are having. And healing starts by individual healing. And now we have children who grew up with so much trauma in the places that ISIS occupied, children who've seen the violence, who grew up with it. So how do we start this healing journey? And it needs to be serious and international as well as national and communal effort. Otherwise, we have problems for decades and decades to come from that trauma if it's left unhealed. The more I think about this subject matter, uh, I grew up as a Muslim. I don't know enough about my religion. 
you know, and I'm in my 40s. So I'm doing the work now. I'm reading the Quran in English and I'm learning Arabic and I'm learning more about Islam. I'm reading critical writers on this. And, you know, there's some hard work here to be done by our community. Um, so thank you for highlighting that. I wanted to get to something you said there, Nadia, about healing. Um, vegan, how do we start healing? How do we do that? To be honest with you, every time I go into a classroom, a little bit of me starts to heal again uh, because I just feel if I can get through to some of the children, even one in a whole group, then it, it's a positive thing. Healing is also just literally a, a choice. You can actually resist it by tapping into anger and uh, immense grief in a way that's unhealthy. For me, healing is doing proactive things. Um, instead of post-traumatic stress, we have post-traumatic growth. Mm. And we use that to try and promote positivity and, and kindness. And that in itself, I think, is healing. For me, it is. I don't know how it is for you, Mike, but for me, it is. Yeah, I, I find talking with the students um, an incredibly healing process. Because we're retelling the story of what happened to our loved ones, we're still reliving that experience. And that's hard. But then you have at the end of the presentation, the students' questions, a nod from a student going out the door. And you just know that they have understood our messages and are going to carry them forward. And it's the potential of that that, it's better than all it's better than all the gold in the world thank you omar what do you think about that how do we how do we get towards healing the best way of healing is by helping the communities not only to restore their normal life but also by helping them to see the light and to contribute positively to their future by giving them the responsibility to be proactive members of their communities, by bringing justice, by reconstructing what the terrorism destroyed, by investing more in a critical thinking, but investing even more to help the people ask questions. The key point to our full healing is the example Mike mentioned. The more we ask questions, the better our understanding of this life becomes. And the more we get control over our narrative, the narrative that we want to spread, because Daesh thrives on ignorance. Daesh lives where there is ignorance, because ignorance is the simple formula of spreading hate. And the opposite is knowledge, and that's why Daesh hates knowledge. Omar, you raised the idea of knowledge. Because I do agree with you that knowledge is so powerful and critical thinking and nonviolent communication and empathy and compassion that raises men and women that don't need to use violence. This is part of the recovery as well, isn't it, Nadia, that we don't just make these simple equations like Daesh is Islam or Islam is violence. It's the fact that we look at the whole complicated truth. Yes, People need that acknowledgement. This is why, like, after 100 years or more, you know, the, the Armenian genocide, why do they need that acknowledgement? It's already been done. There is something incredibly healing 
about acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of wrongdoing is, in my opinion, the first step towards healing. You can't get to love and healing if you don't acknowledge, if you just bury it. And really having the courage to see our shadow, if you would. One of the things that stuck out all the way through this conversation from all your powerful testimonies and the the guidance that you're actually giving us, uh, one word sticks out to me is choice, that we can choose to learn and we can choose to ask questions and we can choose to love. Could you give me uh, a final thought on how we can fix this or is there somebody out there who's searching for something to grab hold of? What advice would you give them? Uh, Omar, can I start with you? As we said, hate is choice, but also forgiveness is a choice. It will make you feel stronger if you forgive. But it is very dangerous to forget. We have the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness that they lack, that they don't have. That's why they committed all these atrocities. But we have to remember always that those victims are not statics or numbers. Those victims had lives, they had dreams, they had imaginations that was simply taken away from them. We should never allow names of Figan's son, Mike's brother, my brother, and the thousands others. We should never allow their names to be transformed into statics to be used on the news or other places. No. We should always honor their names. That's one thing. The second is using this memory not to advance revenge or hatred. Rather, using this memory to show the people that when hatred rules, the result will be destruction not only of your enemies but also of yourself. I am myself a victim of that destruction, Adnan, because I am no more able to visit or see my city. That's how, how conflict do not only destroy the building, it destroys a deep side of your soul. But if you allow them to get deeper into your soul, then they will win, even if they are defeated. Thank you. Mike? Death is a part of life, but losing folk to terrorist acts through acts of hatred it it can destroy however that hatred that you feel inside you can choose to ignore none of us here hate because we have lost people so if we don't hate because of that why should you hate because someone calls you a name or gives you a kick or something like that? You can choose not to hate. And I'll tell you something, it is the most powerful feeling. Overcoming that hatred is it's a joy. Fegan? I mean, forgiveness is empowering. I feel that resilience together with forgiveness uh, makes me strong as a person. And I think, Omar, what you said about that um, names should never be forgotten. I will never allow Martin and the people who died alongside him that day 
to be collateral damage. Anybody who dies of terrorism should never, ever be forgotten. Their, their names should be always in people's memory and they shouldn't be alongside the names of the terrorists who killed them, for instance, in the media. They are real people who had dreams, aspirations and hope for the future and that's all been taken away from them and actually also from us. Thank you. N- Nadia, any final thoughts? Yes, I am a historian of ideas. So ideas are incredibly powerful. Ideas could be very harmful, could be very violent, or they could achieve the opposite impact. We hear about the billions upon billions every single year in promoting and and supporting ideas that create the likes of ISIS. And we need to invest just as many billions, although it doesn't take as much to invest in a good idea because love is, is much easier to spread than hate, actually, in the sanctity of individual sovereignty, that every human being has sovereignty, that nobody is allowed to violate that sovereignty, that their soul, their life, their... Like, imagine if we support this idea that nobody is allowed to violate another human being's sovereignty, that every interaction has to be with consent, with mutual respect, Imagine how powerful that is. I think that is the way forward, is to support the ideas, that there's no space for the ideas like ISIS's that cannot compete with these powerful ideas. Thank you all uh, for that conversation and thank you for your uh, time and your your memories. Um, I've learned a lot, a lot from you. Shukran, shukran. Thank you very much. This is the end of our current series of Taking Apart Terror. We've looked at violent extremism, Islamist extremism in particular, from all sides, trying to explain how and why terrorists do what they do. I hope we've helped you understand more about this complex subject, and maybe the next time you see something on the news about a terrorist act somewhere in the world, you'll take more notice, be more engaged, and be less afraid. Because I can tell you as I look outside my window here in Kabul, This is a reality and it's not going away anytime soon. I'm Adnan Sawa. Until we meet again, goodbye.